So I have four nieces and nephews, and I was talking to my sister about IXL. And IXL Learning is this fun online program for kids, and it covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. My sister and my nephew love it. The way it works is it's powered by AI, so IXL gives the right help to each kid. And IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Maybe you've been looking into private tutoring, but it's out of the budget, or this is a big school year for your kiddo. So make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And all of these listeners can get an exclusive. 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com slash ologies. So visit IXL.com slash ologies to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. I know I usually save my secrets for the end of the episode, but I'm going to tell you my secret favorite candy. It's Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. It's really Reese's anything, but Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the thing that I'm like, have I had a bad day? I get these. Have I had a good day? I get these. Chocolate, salty peanut butter, the textures, I love everything about them. Also that there's two. So I'm like, oh, I get this one for later, which is one second later. Anyway, Reese's Peanut Butter Cups, I love you. That's all. If you're me, you can shop Reese's Peanut Butter Cups now at a store near you. Found wherever candy is sold. And I am. Oh, hey, it's one of those cows that they blow dried. And you're like, wow, that cow looks fantastic. Allie Ward, hunger the hell down. Boy, howdy, hot damn. It's ADHD part two. I hope you're wearing a waterproof poncho for your feelings. And also that you have a bag of confetti nearby to punctuate some epiphanies. You're going to love this. First, really quickly, thank you to everyone at patreon.com slash ologies for supporting the show. Thank you to every single person who has recommended this episode or the podcast to others. Thanks for rating and reviewing. That really keeps it up in the charts. And I read every single review like this steamy hot one from Allison Deer, who wrote, I gasped when I saw the ADHD title and had an actual good cry through my first listen. My third child is in the process of diagnosis, and we are in it right now, entrenched. They write, this episode could be a significant help to our family in crisis. Thank you isn't enough. Allison Deer, thank you for that review. The reviews really, really keep me going. Uh, Megatron0259, yes, we can be best friends. Uh, no, I cannot give you a ride to the airport. Y'all's reviews, I read them. Uh, okay, part two. Let's do it. So last week, part one, you heard from Dr. Russell Barkley, who is a figurehead of the current scientific understanding of ADHD. And believe me, I understand the delicious irony of a nearly two-hour episode made for people with a focus disorder. That was not lost on us here at Ologies HQ, but there were a lot of questions to address. It's an important topic, and you can always pause and come back as many times as you need. So why the part two then? Well, feelings. Uh, It's incredibly validating to learn about all the hard science and the gravity of ADHD, but I wanted also to chat with folks out there documenting their lived experience of ADHD and trying to bridge the gaps between ADHD brains and a world that's built for neurotypicals. So tips workarounds, hacks, their self-acceptance, and very much why this isn't just a disorder for your nephew who practices karate during a social studies test. So today we have three ADHD experts. Number one, we've got Jessica McCabe. Everyone who has ADHD learned all the strategies and all the tricks to overcome their ADHD and be able to function fine in a neurotypical world. Well, what's the problem with that? A lot. She, her of How to ADHD, which is a fantastic YouTube channel that just crossed a million subscribers. Hell yes, all kinds of information there on how to ADHD. And we have Renee Brooks, the clinician 
is an expert you've hired to work for you. She, her, who has run the site Black Girl Lost Keys since discovering the need for it in 2014. And then rounding it out, we've got neuroscientist Jayla Osborne. We just want to make sure that we don't draw conclusions from a super small sample if it's Mm -hmm. not like representative. She, her, and Jayla is a graduate student with a BS in psychology from University of Denver, currently researching ADHD in the Cognitive Neuroimaging Lab at the University of Michigan. Oh, and then couple of surprise cameos. What? Are we off our rockers? Yes, we are. We care so much. So please join us as we just fire you up with tales about the strengths of an ADHD brain, notable people with ADHD from the past and the present, writing a book, knitting in meetings, the curse of the parking ticket, the iconic struggles of obtaining medication, how to know what medication is right for you, diagnoses, what seems like a sharp spike in pandemic diagnoses, stigmas, accommodations, overlaps with autism, and what it feels like as a beautiful round peg to jam your face into square holes every single day on this episode of Ologies, ADHD Part 2. this off, let's start with some fawning and some crying. I had seen your videos because my husband has ADHD and we watched your TED talk together and oh, it's going to make me so emotional, but he just started like bawling during it. What can I tell you to help you understand ADHD? First of all, it's real. It's not bad parenting or lack of discipline. ADHD is a neurodevelopmental disorder. It's currently the most well-researched mental condition And there are actually measurable differences in the brain. These differences are larger in children, but for most people, they never go away. In other words, adults have ADHD too. Have you noticed listeners and viewers' questions have changed a lot in the last two years too? Do you feel like there's a collective kind of low a lot of us are going through? Yeah, I realized after a bit that I was still doing the same thing. And and (laughs) there was a moment where I was like, this is really hard for me to focus on. And I'm sure it's going to be hard for people to even focus on to watch. It's, you know, maybe we need something else right now. And Mm -hmm. I'm really glad that I did that because it's the last couple of years have really shifted my perspective about what's needed in terms of support for people with ADHD too. And what the world, what the world can be, because if if we learned anything from COVID, it's that the the world can change and the world can change Mm -hmm. fast. The way things are isn't the way that things always have to be. What are you doing for yourself? What changes have you made in the past couple of years or even, yeah, in the past two years to make sure that you're supporting yourself and that you're getting all of your your own needs met? <laughs> Boundaries. <laughs> Boundaries is something I am learning. How to say no. Renee Brooks of Black Girl Lost Keys has a great phrase that I try to remember now, which is guard your yes with your life. Uh-huh. And so I'm doing that. Perfect handoff to our second guest, who thankfully had a weak access point to her yes, which I was able to exploit. So when Renee Brooks of Black Girl Lost Keys wrote back and said she'd be on, I shrieked. I was so excited. And with so many folks being newly diagnosed, she's an incredible resource that she frankly didn't have. So you're welcome, everyone. 
when I was getting diagnosed with ADHD, the what we know of as like ADHD, TikTok, Twitter, all of that stuff, none of that existed. It wasn't that it was a wasteland. There was good information online. There were people like uh, Terry Matlin, Linda Rogley, uh, Rick Green, lots of lots of good information out there. It's just that you had to go digging for it in a way that you don't necessarily have to dig for it now. So my ADHD diagnosis was not something that I learned about from the internet. I learned about it from an accident. Um, I was being treated for depression by a therapist. And I just so happened to mention in passing to her, like, oh, yeah, they tried to diagnose me with this ADHD thing when I was a kid. But my mom was like, no way. And we moved on. And I went to continue my story. And she stopped me mid-sentence, sent me to an ADHD specialist who just so happened to work in her office. And we moved on from there. But for sure, if it hadn't been for me mentioning that in passing, probably we wouldn't be here. Wow. That's, was it a relief to you to approach it from a different direction at that point? It was. It it certainly made a lot more sense than the idea of me just being depressed with no kind of way out, which is funny because I have dysthymia, which is, you know, it's just a low level depression that just kind of never goes away. But, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> but there's so much about ADHD, like your self-reflection, who you think you are and how you fit into the world is constantly feels almost eroded by not realizing, you know, It's like finding Um, out you were not the person that you thought you were. Like, I think the only thing you can really liken it to is like finding out that, I don't know, that you're like secretly a princess or something. So then you have to like (laughs) re-spin your entire life in the context of you being this person who you did not know that you were. I'm a princess. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. you're... Even now, every once in a while, some experience will occur to me, like, you know, from my past life. And I'll go, oh, oh, that was ADHD. That wasn't what I thought it was. There's a lot of that, especially at first. So it's a relief because you find out there, there's even like a, a famous book title about it. You mean I'm not lazy, crazy or stupid. Yeah, I've seen that. This book, You Mean I'm Not Lazy? Stupid or Crazy is by Kate Kelly and Peggy Ramundo, and that'll be linked alongside a ton of resources on my webpage. That'll be linked in the show notes. But I do love the title, and it kind of makes me want to work on a memoir called Are You There, ADHD? It's me, Chaos. But that's a personal chapter for another day. But back to what seems like a spike in diagnoses. Is ADHD like the middle part of neurodiversity? Does everyone have it? What does Jessica of how to ADHD think? You know, I know that the last couple of years have been pretty, pretty bananas. And have you found yourself also dealing with it's kind of a tidal wave of people who maybe they do have ADHD and it was undiagnosed or misdiagnosed? Do you feel like there's more talk about it in the last couple of years? 
Oh, there's definitely more talk about it. And there's a number of reasons for that. Um, there's a lot more talk about mental health in general the last couple of years because people who were maybe skating by or could maybe cope were, were doing so. Like maybe they were barely above water, but they were still like managing to be above water. And then COVID hit and, you know, maybe there's a parent who suddenly they're having to homeschool their kids and work from home. Everything's changed all at once. It's it's too much demand on their executive function. They can't ignore it anymore. And I think for everybody who gets diagnosed, for the most part, there is a point, usually shortly before they get diagnosed, where the demands on their executive function, the, the demands that, that society is putting on them are too much for whatever coping mechanisms they've been skating by with so far. So for me, that was in... Um, middle school. My mom got in a car accident. We had to change schools. My mom was in a hospital bed and I didn't have the same accommodations of, you know, my mom saying, Hey, don't forget your jacket. Here's your homework or whatever. And I was going to middle school and a new school. So I had to learn a completely different set of rules and expectations and, and different friends. It it was just, it was so much change. So, so much at once without the, you know, essentially executive function support that my mom had been provided been providing. And I was responsible for getting myself to school on time for remembering to bring my own books to class. And it was too much for my executive function to handle. So I suddenly went from being a straight A student to my GPA dropped to 2.4, like immediately. For me, it was it was hard because the first doctor that my mom took me to said, well, how did she do in elementary school? And my mom said, well, she she was gifted. She's a straight A student. And he said, then she can't have ADHD. <gasps> oh, that makes me want to cry. Right. And so I feel like a lot of people might be going through that right now where like suddenly things are so, so hard and their their coping strategies aren't enough for them anymore and they're going to get checked out. And these doctors who don't maybe know better are saying, well, how did you do as a, as a kid? You know, let me look at your elementary school report cards. First of all, like what adult with ADHD still has their elementary school report cards. Location unknown. <laughs> but that's beside the point. But this whole idea that because you're an adult and ADHD is something that you're usually quote unquote diagnosed with in childhood, that you that you don't have it. So I, I see a lot of people being diagnosed now, but I also see a lot of people being afraid to go and seek a diagnosis because they're afraid of being dismissed. What about advice for people who suspect that they might have ADHD, but haven't gotten a diagnosis because they're maybe they present as female or they're not white and they get, for example, so many people that I talked to for this podcast, especially who are people of color, were just, they were dismissed as having behavioral problems just because of structural racism. So what kind of advice do you have for people who may have been overlooked in terms of getting a diagnosis? Yeah. I mean, that unfortunately happens a lot. There's solid research on this that, you know, a little black boy is going to be more likely to be diagnosed with like oppositional defiance or conduct disorder versus a little white boy, which is, you know, who's going to be more likely to be diagnosed with ADHD. And that that's really unfortunate. So looking for a doctor that's culturally competent is really important. And somebody who understands ADHD, arguably maybe even more so because somebody who is uh, really well-versed in ADHD, who specializes in ADHD is going to be much more likely to be able to recognize it regardless of what other intersectionalities are are present because, um, yeah, some people mask it. So yes, as we covered in part one, folks who are assigned female at birth or who present as girls or women can get overlooked. And that is mirrored in racial biases as well, about which probably very few of us are surprised, but all of us should be outraged. And actually, before I interviewed Dr. Moore, aka Curly Scientist, for the Forensic Ecology episode, I had seen her pinned tweet, which I thought was so helpful. And it read, hi, I have ADHD. If you need to send me a long email, 
try not to. It would help if you put a response needed by date in the subject, bold important dates and times, and highlight compensation amount. Thank you. Hashtag ADHD in STEM. And I was like, that's great to know. And also all emails should just be this way. I mean, let's be honest. Now, this clip you're about to hear wasn't in the published episode because I was saving it for this one. So here is me and Dr. Tierra Moore. And you know, I saw a tweet of yours too about ADHD. And I think it's so interesting how many scientists I talk to who have ADHD and part of what makes them so great at science is that you're constantly asking questions and learning and things are changing and you're able to cope well with it. It's so interesting that you brought that up because it was something that was a struggle for a while. First of all, not understanding that I had it or what was going on and then getting medicine and being like, whoa, mm. <laughs> this is different. And then, you know, having to become an advocate and saying like, wow, like I was so embarrassed and ashamed, but like, no, this can help people. And then a lot of other people, by me talking about it, you know, went and got assessed um, and are now, you know, been diagnosed. So it's just like, wow, especially um, in black communities, we're not taking that seriously when it comes to that type of diagnosis. And I remember, in, you know, when I was in school, it was like, oh, you're just bad. You just running around when the whole time I had ADHD. That fucking kills me. Think about that. In part one with Dr. Barkley, we really covered how dangerous undiagnosed and untreated ADHD is and how symptoms being attributed to a moral failing cause lasting consequences in self-image. So if it seems like there's a rise in diagnoses, it's partly because so many people via social media have access to information that wasn't given to them at an appropriate time. You look back and then you're like, how did teachers guidance counselors, parents, psychologists, like, how did everyone miss this, you know? But see, that's what I'm saying. They did miss it. They were calling me bad. They were saying, hey, Tierra's acting out. They're calling my grandma to the school to come get me. So instead of saying, oh, maybe we should take her to somewhere and get checked out, it's mm -hmm. just, oh, you're wrong. Oh, mm -hmm. you're not good, you know? And so I think that is the disconnect of maybe not having folks who understand it in the school system, not know really what's going on. So... Yeah, it's a lot more work that could be done for sure. Thankfully, as Dr. Barkley mentioned in part one, more and more studies come out every year. And who's doing them? University of Michigan PhD student Jayla Osborne in the Cognition and Cognitive Neuroscience Department. And she is researching distractibility within ADHD as well as race biases in perceptions of ADHD symptoms. And also big thanks to blackinneuro.com for having an incredible member directory just casually full of amazing brainy specialists in neuroscience. Now, Jayla couldn't divulge some facts and figures because the findings aren't yet published. So Stay tuned, Dr. Russell Barkley. But we hopped on the horn last week to gab about her active research in two different labs. Sure. Um, yeah. So right now I'm particularly studying distractibility in ADHD. Um, so distractions can stem from, you know, either the external environments like noises or visual stimuli or the internal environments like mind wandering or like daydreaming or even negative thinking. My current work is trying to assess if individuals with ADHD are equally susceptible to both types of distractions, so external or internal, or if they're specifically susceptible to a certain type of distraction. And I'm particularly studying adults with ADHD for this. So, Oh, oh that's great. When you're 
doing this research, do you have to set up like pop-up windows on the computer or have someone come in with a bunch of, you know, clattering dishes in the, you know, in the room? How do you set that up? Yeah. So right now we've done a lot of like survey stuff. So the first studies have been more survey based and people just fill them out and we're looking at the data just based on self-report. So phase one, surveys asking about how distracted people get. Phase two, bring in the machines. Uh, Mm -hmm. But right now we are gearing up for a a second follow-up study where we are using computer tasks. And so we have like external distractions embedded into the task itself. So usually it's like a visual stimuli that we're using as our external distraction, but other studies in in past have um, used more ecologically valid distractors. So maybe like noises in a cafe or something like that, or pencils dropping, things that would be like actually in the the environment uh, for somebody. But for our studies, no, we're we're not uh, bringing in dishes and things like that right now. I always picture labs just having like a prop room (laughs) when it comes to like neuroscience labs. I always always like to picture them that they're like, okay, we've got a clown walking by. We're going to see if people get scared, if their heart rate goes up. I have a feeling that's probably mostly in my imagination, but still sounds fun. Yeah. Maybe, <laughs> maybe once the, the pandemic subsides and things like that, but a lot, a lot of the stuff we're doing right now is just on the computer. So people can do it remotely. Mm-hmm. That's so cool. And plus there's a lot of tasks that have, you know, like classic kind of psychological tasks that have been like established. So we'll use like a flanker task or um, a Simon task or things like that that have kind of been established in the, in the literature. Okay, so the flanker sounded like a Swedish disco move. So I looked it up and it's actually a test where a screen has a bunch of arrows either in all kinds of directions or all going one direction and your anterior cingulate cortex which is in the front of your brain jello, has to cut the crap through all those messy arrows and figure out which way just the arrow in the center of the screen is going. So if you're in a basketball game and you're shaking pool noodles at someone trying to make a three-pointer, their anterior cingular cortex is like, do you mind? Please don't. Likewise, in ADHD, studies have shown that folks with ADHD can have significant cortical thinning in the right rostral anterior cingulate cortex. So the flanker task might rat you out. Now the Simon effect is like when you see the word green written in yellow font, or you're asked to press a button on the right side of the keyboard, even though the type appears on the left side of the screen. And what I love about learning about all this is that neuroscientists are doing so much to help us understand our brains all while being absolute pranksters. They're like processing speed in regard to incongruity of manual extension of index finger and auditory perception of lattice. Pull my finger. Lol. Like that could be a legit study. But scientists are working to make this field more accessible and the lack of accessibility during her diagnosis journey inspired Renee to make Black Girl Lost Keys. And as mentioned in part one, formed the Unicorn Squad, which is a support group and a safe space for Black people of marginalized genders to discuss ADHD. And it's also open to parents of those people. And Renee's own ADHD backstory is interesting because she was diagnosed as a child and then two more times. I had no idea that I had it. I know now as an adult that I had ADHD as a child, but I had never 
um, been told what I had or what it meant. And it was mainly because no one told my mom what it meant. And all they said was that her, uh, her gifted child, her straight A student had ADHD and without any real information about what that needed, what that meant rather, she was just like, there's nothing wrong with my kid. Bye. And that was the Um, end of it. There's so many resources now that were not available in 2009, which it doesn't seem like it was that long ago, but it was. There were no black people doing anything that was like, that's the whole reason I created Black Girl Lost Keys, because there there wasn't anything. I was writing a, a post about what it's like to be black with ADHD, which funny enough, never existed on the blog before. And as I was going through like a list of like, here's all the people who talk about it. It shocked me. And I started to cry because there was nothing. There was nothing when I got diagnosed. And I looked and I really wanted there to be something. So this is good. But I was the point that I was making, sorry, is that when when a lot of us came into the world of ADHD, we usually ran into either Hallowell or Barkley first. Right. When you really wanted to get into the brass tacks of what it meant. And so Barkley was my initiate. (laughs) (laughs) I like Hallowell too, but you know, like that was, that was my initiation into that world. But I'm really encouraged by what's available now versus what was available. Even like I said, it, if if there was so little for me, imagine how much little there was 10 years before I was diagnosed oh, and 10 years oh before God. that. One of these studying misdiagnoses, of course, Shayla Osborne. So what are some of the whys there, both systemically and also personally for her? There are probably people who, you know, didn't have access to a clinical psychologist or psychiatrist or, you know, the ability to undergo some sort of like evaluation to uh, be able to diagnose. So I'm sure that it definitely happens to get some of these services. Typically, you know, you need to be aware of what even this disorder is, who to go to, to um, get evaluated. And sometimes it can cost money to like get some of these evaluations. So if you don't have those things, then it can make it difficult. So, yeah. Do you have a mission in terms of the work that you do in changing the way that ADHD is diagnosed or missed in in any certain populations or just in general awareness about it? Is there any kind of motivation behind a lot of your work? Yeah, I would say that the motivation behind my work um, comes from my brother. So uh, my brother has ADHD and, um, you know, just kind of seeing like growing up, the struggles that he had academically, um, the struggles that he had with like self-esteem because of like the way that the learning difference that he had and how it wasn't really accepted in like traditional school settings and how that impacted him. And then also ADHD can have functional consequences. So not everybody with ADHD will necessarily have these consequences, but people with ADHD are less likely to, you know, go to college or even graduate from college, more likely to change jobs or like get fired. And then they're also more likely to experience criminal incarceration. Basically, uh, my motivation just comes from wanting to 
lessen the functional consequences that can happen for individuals with ADHD. Anyone out there with siblings whose brains work a little differently from yours? Show of hands. Okay. Almost everyone. Got it. So remember from Russell's episode, siblings can make a really huge impact just on how we see the world and how we see others. So my own sisters, Celeste and Janelle, I'm sorry for singing along to Klondike Bar commercials like an opera singer at 7 a.m. and stealing your barrettes. But as we learned in part one, ADHD is starting to be looked at as a spectrum disorder, like autism. But the two can overlap, kind of like a Technicolor Venn diagram. So some research suggests this combo is 37 to 85% of people who have one have the other. So what does Jessica see in her How to ADHD audience? And also, do we need a new name like ASDHD? No? Okay. So many listeners were curious about the autism and ADHD overlap and how often that does get misdiagnosed. Have you had to do a lot of research for that given that you have so many members of your community that are both? So my brother actually is autistic and oh. um, and I adored my brother. And <laughs> growing up, I've noticed a lot of my friends, a lot of people I am just naturally drawn to are neurodivergent somehow. I like you. Ended up turning out to either have ADHD or, or autism or both. And so it's a, it's almost like a special interest for me. Like I, I'm <laughs> kind of obsessed with autism. ADHD is the thing that I do that I, that I definitely specialize in that I talk about on my channel. And I don't speak about autism as much because it's not my personal experience, but I do find it fascinating. So there are a lot of times where I'm reading journal articles about it or talking to the autistic brains in my community and really trying to understand their experience because in a lot of ways, ADHD can be in the middle between between neurotypicals and and the autistic community. And it felt like at least growing up for me, I had to translate a lot. Like my brother and my mom were so different. Their brains were so different that they were completely incompatible. My mom had no idea what my brother was trying to say. My brother had no idea what my mom was trying to say. And so I ended up kind of being the translator. I'm mm -hmm. like, I don't completely get you, but I understand enough of this that I can explain it to mom. And my mom would explain something neurotypical. And I'm like, I don't completely understand it, but like I get enough of it to like no. explain it to my brother. <laughs> Which explains why Jessica is so good at relaying and being an ambassador between neurodivergent and neurotypical folks and why she might have a passion for that. And she's also so good with analogies. She's like someone who's really good at something if the thing were an analogy, to use an analogy. It's really like we're on different operating systems. There, there are neurotypical brains and you know, there are, I mean, and not, I'm not even saying everybody who's neurotypical has the same brain. Nobody who, with ADHD has the same brain as another person with ADHD either. But think of neurotypical brains because they're the majority. Most people are neurotypical. They're like, you know, Windows, PCs. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and that's what most people use. Is that, that's what most people know how to use. And ADHD brains are kind of like Macs where a lot of people use them, but you know, those who don't like, don't really know how to use them. And if you try and use a Mac, like it's a PC, it's not going to go well, right? Like different shortcuts. And then you like, you hit a magic button or you like do something on the screen and something happens and you're like, what the, what did I do? I just pushed a button. And now like this whole pro other programs running, like, I don't get it. Like stop, come back, slow down. Um, and then, <laughs> and then autistic brains, Dr. Rafael Bocamato, who's very public about his autism, who I also work with, uh, will explain that like Linux. 
nobody knows what nobody knows what the heck Linux is unless you unless you're one of the very few people who likes Linux knows everybody else looks at like like what the he- I don't even recognize this I don't know what to do with this and on any of these operating systems if you try to use this operating system like it's a different operating system you would think it was broken you would think there was something wrong with it because this the shortcuts you're used to using aren't working the the commands you're used to using aren't working and so the temptation is well, let's fix that, right? Like, let's reprogram this thing to like make it work the way that that a, that a Windows does. But the truth is that diversity is really valuable. It's great, and I'm not saying it's it's always great to have ADHD. There are times it's not great to have ADHD, but <laughs> overall, neurodiversity in the world is a valuable thing because it allows people to come at things from different perspectives. If everybody's work, brain worked the same way, then everybody's brain would work the same way, and we wouldn't have all the innovative ideas that we do. And I love that. So different brains have different strengths, and we're stronger with diversity. And I found an article in Healthline about what type of work environments ADHDers thrive in, and it said passion-fueled, high-intensity, ultra-structured, lightning-paced, and hands-on creative. And psychotherapist Dr. Stephanie Sarkis is quoted as saying, People with ADHD tend to work well in a fast-paced, high-intensity environment like that of an emergency room or an ambulance. So when you think of ADHD folks chasing adrenaline or whatever, remember that your trauma surgeon or your firefighter, a lot of athletes and teachers and social workers and performers are like, oh, is this job too much for you? That's okay. We got it. Which reminds me of the hunter-farmer hypothesis that was made by a radio personality whose son had ADHD. And some people hate this notion. It's not scientifically backed with evolutionary biology or theory, but it resonates as validating for some others. Like Jared, who is the kind of good Samaritan who like runs toward peril to help strangers. And I was talking to my wonderful mother-in-law about just that theory of Uh, people with ADHD in particular being hunters in a world of farmers or in a farming world? Like, have you heard that one? Does that come up a lot? I I have, yeah. And there's some truth to the the way that society functions right now is really not built for an ADHD brain. It's really not. There is far too much paperwork. Um, (laughs) They're like mail and there's so much admin stuff. Like, Like trying to stay on top of things is really, really difficult. Um, (laughs) yeah. And the truth is, you know, whether hunter gather, whatever, like there are environments that are definitely more accessible to the ADHD brain. If you put me in an environment that requires me to have really good time management skills and organizational skills, I'm going to be really disabled, quite frankly, Mm -hmm. because those are things that I really, really struggle with. But if you put me in an environment where it's like a, you know, like put me in a think tank, right? Like be like, Hey, we have this (laughs) new idea. Like, what do you think? great. Now I'm going to thrive, right? Put me in an environment where I can, where I can move around and like come up with new ideas and take a break when I need to take a break. And like, there's some flexibility, like I'm going to do great. So I Mm -hmm. don't mind using strategies and stuff to help me get to, to dinner on time with a friend. But if I have to get to everything on time and I don't give my brain any time to wander, I notice I start getting depressed. I need to be a Mac. I'm a Mac, right? And I can, mm-hmm. and I can, inter- <laughs> I can interface with a PC and I can learn to do that. But asking me to be a PC, which honestly I did to myself for a long time. There's this kind of internalized mm-hmm. ableism that I realized when I started my channel, I started it so that I could learn 
what was wrong with my brain and how to fix it so that then I could essentially be neurotypical. Like I was so frustrated with the way that my brain was getting in my way that I was just like, let me go learn what I'm dealing with, learn how to fix it so I can go back to my life only now neurotypical. Essentially, I didn't know that that's what I was doing, but it's essentially what I was doing. I want to be on time and organized and and disciplined and consistent and all of these things that I thought you had to be to be successful. And the funny thing is, I learned so many strategies for doing this and I read so much research and and learned all the things and tried all the things and couldn't stick to most of the things. But <laughs> But I got to the point where I realized like, I'm still not there yet, right? I'm still not there yet. Maybe this strategy, maybe this strategy. Like there's eventually going to be this this one magical thing that I'm going to find that's going to, you know, find it, finally everything's going to click into place and I'm, I'm going to be able to do the things that I thought that I quote unquote should do as a good employee, boss, YouTuber, I don't know, whatever. At some point I'm going to get my shit together. Um, mm-hmm. And the thing is it never quite happened for me. But I also looked around and saw, oh crap, I'm successful. Like what, what? Wait, hang on, like, there's this like break in the space-time continuum or something like why did I be able to be successful but I still have ADHD I still have these challenges my my car is still a mess and I'm still late to things and I'm still struggling but also I'm successful and I realized it's not only not possible to completely overcome your ADHD it's Mm -hmm. it's not even necessary and this idea that we have to, right? That that this is who we have to be or what we have to do to to be acceptable in the world or to be worthy of our success is really harmful and toxic and something that um that I'm kind of rebelling against right now. So rather than self-reproach or conformity, you can see your strengths and celebrate the W's because she outlines the alternative to self-acceptance. Like imagine, okay, quote unquote, perfect world in which everyone who has ADHD learned all the strategies and all the tricks to overcome their ADHD and be able to function fine in a neurotypical world. Well, what's the problem with that? A lot. One, every single person with ADHD is now paying an enormous ADHD tax of all of the money that they're having to spend and time they're having to spend on learning these strategies and paying for these strategies so that they can function in this neurotypical world, right? So it takes an incredible toll on us personally it also takes a toll on our self-esteem because like this this whole time we're, we're telling ourselves how we are is not okay and we have to be different. We have to be more like how somebody else naturally is. It takes a hit to our self-esteem, to our finances because you know we're sp- probably spending a lot of money on these strategies to our time because we're having to spend a lot of time learning about these strategies. But worse, we're now ensuring that the next generation has to do the exact same thing because uh-huh. the world has not had to change. So if you're neurodivergent and you help make the world a friendlier place to others and yourself, and you work with your strengths instead of trying to twist yourself into someone else's pretzel, you make a better future for other people. Now, if you're here because you suspect you have ADHD, is it possible to just resonate so hard with a piece of content or a podcast that you're pretty much diagnosed? Not so fast. I'm not a doctor, but Renee has advice. Well, I would recommend like, this is no diss to any creator, but I think it's important, like, if you've consistently seen yourself in the content, it's important to start moving towards talking to professionals because there are some things that can mimic ADHD 
that you can also be dealing with it. Like a lot of these things can play together. Like bipolar can look like ADHD. Trauma can look like ADHD. The same three can exist all in one person. So I think it's important to when possible, like obviously there are limitations because of finances, accessibility, like a a million different other reasons. But think it's important if to the best of your ability to get in front of a pro when you've seen like 40 of these videos and you're pretty convinced that that's what's happening because you could be absolutely right or you could be partially right and I think the partially right is probably more dangerous than being completely wrong. So of course yes seek a professional opinion and if you're looking for a good professional there's a wealth of resources available at Chad children and adults with attention deficit hyperactivity disorder and ADDA attention deficit disorder association and those are causes close to Jessica and Renee so we made donations respectively and those URLs will be linked in the show notes and we also donated to Jayla's charity of choice Failsafe which fosters positive change in those affected by incarceration and Failsafe's blueprint for reentry is to empower and restore hope to inmates the formerly incarcerated that they refer to as returning citizens and family members affected by incarceration. So there's more info about them at failsafe.era.org. And those donations were made possible by sponsors of the show. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Listen, we're all carrying around just a backpack of stressors and sadnesses. When we keep them all zipped up and the load gets heavier, it can start to affect us negatively. You start to feel misunderstood, sad, resentful. A safe place to unpack that is, you guessed it, therapy. Therapists can help you dump out your bag and work through the heavy garbage that's weighing you down, in my case at least. I've used BetterHelp. They have definitely helped me understand that pushing my feelings down does not actually make them go away. It makes them feel worse. So if you've been thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient and flexible. It's suited to your schedule. You fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. It's so much faster and easier than trying to hunt down a therapist from just online listings and cold calling. That's one thing I love about BetterHelp. And if for any reason you are not vibing with your therapist, you can switch anytime, no additional charge, no drama. So unburden yourself and trauma dump onto someone who's trained for this. So get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash ologies today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash ologies. Hi, I'm the person whose closet is put in color order, but I'll also pick up an earthworm without thinking twice. In fact, I did yesterday. <laughs> It needed my help. I'm not afraid to be a little messy. Human nature is messy, but nature nature can help us embrace it. I love the brand 7th Generation. Their laundry detergent lifts away tough stains with the power of bioenzymes. That's exciting. You wipe your hands on your pants after you pick up an earthworm? 7th Generation is like, don't worry, hug a dirty tree. Huff some bark, it's good for you. That is the power of 7th Generation. Find laundry detergent and other laundry products at 7thGeneration.com. I love worms. Oh, KiwiCo. We love you. Kids love you. Parents love you. Uncle Allies love you. 
Here's the deal. So whether you're staying at home or you're heading out on some summer explorations, KiwiCo is inviting kids, also kids at heart, that's you, to enjoy their first ever summer adventure series. So kids from two years old to teens can receive six hands-on science and art project kits over six weeks. They have something for everyone. They have different topics for each age, whether your kid wants to explore space or learn about dinosaurs. And I've heard from my parental friends that summer can be a little challenging to keep the kiddos busy. Kiwi goes like, we did the legwork for you. And the summer adventure series is this personalized experience with super fun activities like a bottle rocket kit where kids can build an actual bottle rocket. And you can either receive all of your summer adventure crates at once or weekly for six weeks. I think it's so amazing that they have different crates for different ages. Everything from the great outdoors that has like giant bubbles or a window garden to a trebuchet kit for ages 9 to 14. An entrepreneur where you can do textured clay projects. If you have kids, if you know kids, keep them occupied and learning and having fun this summer with KiwiCo. And you can get 20% off your summer adventure series at Kiwi kiwico.com slash ologies summer. That's 20% off your summer adventure at kiwico.com slash ologies summer. Oh, have fun. Oh, hi, it's me, the lady that checks a bunch of scholarly articles before she believes anything, Allie Ward. And I feel like we are similar in that we have a fair amount of skepticism and we like to dive deep and find out what the actual facts are. This is why when it comes to any kind of supplements, I enjoy Ritual, which is a female-founded B Corp, meaning that they're holding themselves accountable to not just the company, but also to the health of people in our planet. And they're clinically backed essential for women at 18 plus multivitamin has these high quality, traceable key ingredients in bioavailable forms that are clean. Only about 1% of supplement brands are USP verified and Ritual is one of them. So I like being able to trust what I'm putting in my body. From an aesthetic standpoint, I'll also tell you that Ritual are beautiful little vitamins. They look like lava lamps and they taste like mint. So taking my Ritual is part of my, I guess, morning ritual. I, that's probably why they named it that and I didn't even think about it. Anyway, no more shady business. Ritual's Essential for Women 18 Plus is a multivitamin you can actually trust. So get 25% off your first month at ritual.com slash ologies. You can start Ritual or add Essential for Women 18 Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash ologies for 25% off. Down the hatch. Okay. Let's address some listener questions we didn't get to answer in part one. So Annika wants to know if people are ever shocked to find these creators have ADHD and if that makes them annoyed. And Annika writes, I'm so tired of hearing from people that it's a superpower when I'm weeks away from complete burnout. Remember, I was diagnosed almost 13 years ago. So I mean, like by very by virtue of what I do for a living, no one is ever shocked now that I have ADHD. But Back when I was originally diagnosed, uh, yeah, I got a lot of, what do you mean you have ADHD, but you're so smart. And it took a lot of like, well, actually, ADHD doesn't actually have an effect on your intelligence in one direction or the other. But as much as people like to complain, oh, only only people who are geniuses have it. That is not true. There's I've never seen anything research-wise that would indicate that it doesn't seem to have any effect on intelligence in one direction or the other. Russell Barkley said the same thing. Russell, like, I love Russell. I do. I Like, I know everyone has their favorites, but I like Russell. So do we, obviously. And Dr. Barkley reads all the research, and his mission is to legitimize the struggle. So if you haven't listened to part one, go back and listen to it. It is thorough. It's serious. And it's not not a bummer, but it's also incredibly validating 
And so many of you wrote to me saying you wept at feeling so thoroughly understood. So there's also hope and therapies in that one, including information on medication, which works extremely well for the vast majority of people with ADHD, if you can get it filled. Patrons Natalie, M. Case, Jennifer Green, Larry Bauer, and first-time question askers Alexis Salazar and Bobby Minard asked about medication strategies. And Rebecca Weinsettel wrote on Patreon, is there a way I can get diagnosed and prescribed Adderall without having to keep track of several forms, remember to get them filled out, and then actually mail them back to a doctor? I simply have too much ADHD for all that. Have you found any workarounds with the responsibility of having to see a clinician and go get your refill in person and jump through so many flaming hoops. No, there is not one. (laughs) There is not one. I I appreciate the fact that you thought I might have a solution for that. (laughs) It is the least ADHD-friendly situation. It's almost like it's so bad that it almost seems like it would have to be intentional. (laughs) Like, it's like you could not have created a worse process. You had to have been trying to. And it's I'm different sorry. in every state, by the way, in case in case your listeners didn't know, like not like some places you have to do a urinalysis, some places you don't, some places you have to carry a paper script, some places you don't, some places they can call it in, some places they can't. Sometimes mm-hmm. they can call it in 90 days, sometimes they can only do oh. 30. I got my meds the other day and it was a 14 day supply and I still haven't had the patience to call my doctor and find out oh. why they wrote it that way. <laughs> And my doctor and I have a great relationship, but I'm just like, I looked and rolled my eyes and I was like, I can't deal with this today. <laughs> no. I just can't. My doctor called in uh, Vyvanse for me that was available last Monday and I still haven't picked it up and CVS is two miles away. Ah, <laughs> oh, that's right. Story time. So my doctors suspect that some of my decades long troubles with anxiety and perfectionism and overwork and overwhelm. You can see the entire procrastination episode are just well-masked ADHD as well. So this cropped up for me during the pandemic when I realized despite being home and not on airplanes for a month or two for the first time in years, I was still really struggling with deadlines and assignments. And I was lucky to be selected by Patreon to be mentored alongside a handful of creators, including the music producer Laserbeak and Elon of Doomtree Records and Flash Forward creator Rose Eveleth, uh, Comics Explained, Robert Jefferson was in it, Justine of Two Black Girls, One Rose, and Jessica McCabe was in this Patreon group. And I already loved her work. And we both were really struggling with getting our assignments on time for it. And Jessica talked to me on the side about getting evaluated, which I did just a few months ago. So between that and the concussion, I'm just now seeing if medication or just new strategies are right for me. But it's a bit of adjustment after knowing so much about Jared's ADHD and thinking I was the neurotypical one. Oops. Ah. Maybe I think everybody else thought and I didn't. But does Jessica have advice about medication? Uh, Zinnia Holm and Rainbow Warrior both asked, essentially, they have ADHD, but stimulants, despite other virtues, as Rainbow Warrior said, only seem to make me able to switch between tasks faster. Or Zinnia asked, they have anxiety and they're worried that stimulants would push them over the edge. Do you have any tips for people who are diagnosed or are thinking that they might be, but 
stimulants haven't been a, a good fit for them? Yeah, I mean, that's really it. Is it's it's a matter of trial and error. And the truth is, like, it's still a bit of a crapshoot. We don't know yet which meds are going to work for which brains. And there's some genetic testing, but it's not really great yet. So mm-hmm. really, it's you got to try something. And if it doesn't work, be honest that it's not working or or be really, really open with your doctor about how you feel on it. Because odds are there's a different one that would work for you or a different dose that would work for you. You know, my doctor at one point switched me to a different medication and I was like, nope, I don't like this. Put me back on the other one. This one doesn't work as well. And he he said, well, I put you on a lower dose at first to make sure that, you know, you didn't have any problematic side effects. You don't, if it's just that it doesn't seem to be working as well, before you switch back to that other one, let me raise the dose a little bit and then see how you mm. feel. And then he did. And I was like, oh my God, everything just clicked into place. I was like, this feels like me. I feel like me. I, I feel functional. I feel like I can do things, but it doesn't feel like my medication is what's making me do things. It just feels like what I imagine most people feel like when they have a cup of coffee in the morning, they're like, cool, let's do this, ready to work. Yeah. And I was yeah. like, it was just magical when I found the right one. So really it's just a process of trial and error, but medication should not have more side effects than they're worth, right? And so for mm-hmm. 80%, I think the statistic is for 80% of people with ADHD, medication works really, really well. And it's just a matter of finding the right one. And then there are people that medication doesn't work for and other strategies Mm -hmm. are going to be better for that. And, you know, there's also non-stimulant medication is an option. It didn't work for me, but there are some people that, that really like their non-stimulant medications. So there's just a lot of options. Dr. Hallowell, Dr. Ned Hallowell, who's like (laughs) the Superman of ADHD and, and wrote, you know, driven to distraction and delivered from distraction and just a ton of books on ADHD and is a, a phenomenal psychiatrist, has his own podcast, Meds don't work for him. Dang it. He mm. drinks a lot of coffee. Um, <laughs> meds, <laughs> meds don't work for him. And so it's just so, it's so interesting to me that as a psychiatrist, he would be diagnosed with something that he talks about all the time and and medication doesn't work for him. And it's really something to talk, you know, something to talk to your doctor about. And this is also why I think it's really important to, to understand there are other tools available, not only because sometimes the meds don't work, but also because sometimes the meds aren't worth it, right? Like if you really hate how you feel on meds, like it might not be worth it to you. Or maybe you do have side effects from that, from meds or whatever. They're typically really mild, but you know, everybody's different. Um, but also sometimes maybe you don't have access, economic access, or, you know, you can't get into a doctor who will prescribe you meds or whatever. And so then what? Like they can't be the only solution. And also pills don't teach mm-hmm. skills. There's a lot that I still struggle with even taking meds. Um, and yeah, I personally do get that like moment of feeling like med- my meds kick in. It feels like my brain comes online and I can focus better and stuff, but I still notice like whatever I'm doing <laughs> when my meds first kick in better be what I want to be doing for the next couple hours. That's how they work for me. Like, That's so good to know. I know. <laughs> That's really funny that you're like, are you in a place for this? Okay, great. Go. Yeah. I, yeah, I took my meds once and like, uh, I usually take, okay. I, I usually take my meds, go back to sleep for half an hour, wake up. I'm still a little groggy. I, so I'll meditate for half an hour and then I do my workout. Um, and then I'll go about my day or whatever. But like one day I was like, Oh, have a lazy morning. I'll sleep a little bit longer and then I'll meditate and then, you know, and then I'll work out. And then 
I'll take a bubble bath. Well, my meds kicked in while I was in that bubble bath. And I also like put something out on Twitter. So for the next four hours, I was working in my bubble bath because I couldn't (laughs) stop focusing long enough to get out of the tub. It was hilarious. So yes. um. (laughs) Oh my God. That's amazing. I completely get that. That's so funny to be like, this is where I am now. This is where you can find me. But you're, you're, you're on task. Sometimes, sometimes you just, your brain is just like, and now I want to work. And you're like, all right, we're going to roll with this. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Ride that wave. Oh my God. So if you do take medication, don't expect the first dose to be the most revelatory moment of your life. It might be, it might not. Also, if you're washing down a stimulant with your juice in the morning, maybe don't. So apparently acidic foods and vitamin C can break down your meds quickly and make them less effective. Also, if you're having side effects like anxiety or jitters, you can try taking your stimulant with plenty of protein instead of a breakfast of like two and a half Girl Scout cookies. How did you know? So before you dismiss a drug's efficacy, just look at how you're taking it. And then, of course, ask your doctor. And if you can't afford your incredibly expensive name brand only Vyvanse, well, I did find that its maker, Takeda, has the help at hand program. And that can offer financial assistance if you're broke or if you have shitty insurance. So I will link that on my website or you can search help at hand. Uh, Takeda is the pharmaceutical company. They are not sponsoring any of this. Trust me. Uh, Reddit ADHDers also have tips aplenty. So you know what to ask your doctor. But what if your doctor is less helpful than a stranger with the username Cupcakes42069. Well, Renee, professional ADHD coach, weighs in. Do you ever have to coach people on like how to find the right clinician for them? Back before I started working in in this sector, I worked in major health insurance, public mm. and private. And um, I think one of the most important things for patients to know and they so very rarely seem to know it, is that a clinician is an expert you've hired to work for you, to partner with you in your healthcare. They are not your boss, they are an expert and you should certainly respect their expertise, but if you feel like that person is trying to take a position of authority over you or that they don't listen to you or respect your ideas like they know the human body you know your own body so you know what's normal for you and what's not and you need clinicians who to the best of their ability are able to hear you and respect you and take that into consideration and if you feel like you're not a respected member of your own health team you're with the wrong clinician and it's time to start looking for a new one bye now That's excellent advice. So I hope you are feeling accepting of the folks in your life with ADHD or yourself or maybe your kids. I don't want my kids, if I have them, to feel like they have to, that they have to fit that mold. Um, That Again, that doesn't mean there there is like a a way other side of, of the fence, which is like people should just accept us as we are and we should just be able to do whatever we want. Like nobody gets to just do whatever they want. Like we still, again, live in a society. We live in a society. We still have to interact with other people. And if our behavior is hurting somebody, we do have to be accountable for that. And we have to try and figure out ways to not do that. It should be a collaborative effort. It shouldn't be like just 
overcome your ADHD and like, then you'll be okay. It should be like, okay, you right. are already, you know, as Brene, as, yeah, as Brene Brown would put it, you are already worthy of love and belonging. Mm-hmm. And now let's help you, you know, let's help you function in society. And also let's help society function better to accommodate people who are neurodivergent, you know? Right. Which is like so many creative people. You're welcome, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's so real. many people I know who are creators who the whole reason why they went into creative fields is because the idea of like going to the same place every day and, and having to be on top of organizational tasks is overwhelming. But being in a, the run of a play for three months that they have to do really intensely is like something they can do and interest them, you know? So there's so much, there is so much that um, the ADHD brain, even undiagnosed, is such a huge part of what society is that to to discourage that in people would be such a loss. Some famous people you know with ADHD, oh, just Emma Watson and Simone Biles, astronaut Scott Kelly, Michael Phelps, Solange Knowles, Paris Hilton has it, Dave Grohl, Lisa Ling, Will I Am, and Channing Tatum, who I like to call stalker Channing Tatum, O'Neill, Patrick Harris, and Ford. People have also speculated that Albert Einstein had ADHD. And according to an article in Smithsonian Magazine, one historical hyphenate had a penchant to procrastinate and abandon artworks. Who was it? Leonardo da frickin' Vinci. Experts think he had ADHD. Also, according to one headline, those with ADHD might make better entrepreneurs. And that is from the magazine Entrepreneur. ADHDers are three times as likely to start their own business, or it sounds more impressive, 300% more likely to start their own business. Um, really? Yeah, we're and then how do you thinkers. organize it, though? The, the, the problem is, is if your business is a success, then you hire people, and then you're like, fuck, I got to manage people? I got to well, do I my said taxes? start their own business. I didn't say, like, actually remember to pay their taxes. Like, that's where we need to make the world a little more accessible for ADHD. Right. <laughs> that's where you hire people who are really good at that stuff. Shout out to Susan Hale, who's been my friend for 20 years and my bookkeeper for two. And it's the best money I've ever spent. I love you, Susan. What would I do without you? Also, giant lesson from me, your dad. Uh, Don't beat yourself up if you need help. Because without the team who makes ologies, there would be no ologies. So if you have a venture, maybe you're afraid to start, ask yourself, are you afraid of failure? Or are you maybe afraid of success. Because if something succeeds, that's just more work. And what if you can't handle it? So just trust that with success comes more resources, like perhaps a bookkeeper or outsourcing your laundry if you have to, as Renee highly recommends. It becomes very like result driven, right? And that's Mm -hmm. why I was saying, that's how you know. Nobody cares what you have. They care what you're doing mm-hmm. because you produced the result they wanted in a good grade. They didn't care what you had to do to make that result happen. And if you're looking for some great resources for coping with ADHD in school, you can check out Dr. Barkley's excellent book, Taking Charge of ADHD, the fourth edition, the complete authoritative guide for parents. And I've kept these episodes geared more toward adults because there are a lot of resources through school systems that free range adults just don't have. And patron Sage Alexander wrote in, semi-rhetorical, why is it that 99% of articles about how to cope with ADHD are for parents about their children? 
so much of the discourse around ADHD is about kids. Like, I just want to not get fired. I need to not have to file bankruptcy. I need to be able to like, oh my God. When I was a young adult with ADHD, it was a mess. I had like $1,500 in parking tickets. My car was always getting towed. I was always five minutes off of being fired. Like, it is no way for a person to live. So having ADHD is a mix of strategies, possibly medication, workarounds, and not throwing your whole soul under the bus because you've got some overdue library fees. I personally suspect that library fees are what keep the lights on in the library. So well done. Also, hello, librarians. I'm sorry about the late fees. I love you. I just am at the point where like there's so many practical strategies out there now and there's a ton on my channel. And I think they're so important because we do still live in a world that's very near typical. And at the same time, while we're learning these strategies, we have to remember like the goal is not to get perfect at all these strategies and then and then not have ADHD anymore. Like <laughs> maybe the ultimate goal yeah. is the same that is the ultimate goal it should be for anybody, which is to live a life in line with your values in which you are valued for who you are and what you contribute and you can contribute it and you are empowered to do so. I still had it in my head that like, there was a perfect, right? There was, there mm-hmm. was an end goal of like, eventually I just won't struggle with ADHD at all. Like I'll be so empowered. I'll know yeah. all the things, I'll have all the strategies, I'll find the magic <laughs> tools. Like I just won't struggle with this at all anymore. And <laughs> it was humbling to realize, no, I will. And there was yeah. a period of imposter syndrome in between where I was just like, oh God, like everybody's looking at me like I have the answers and like, I'm not even using these answers. And like, what if I don't have the answers? And I'm just like, oh, okay, no, this isn't just me. It's just that there, there isn't the answer. Nobody has the answer yeah. because like there isn't the answer. It's really a, like anything in life. It's complicated. It's going to be a complex collaboration of, I need to learn strategies to support my brain and I need to advocate for myself and the world needs to like do a better job of accommodating neurodiversity to use a a kind of a weird example. If you think of somebody who's in a wheelchair, you're not going to be like, well, I, I I can't walk. So therefore somebody should carry me everywhere. Like that's not okay. But also if I get a wheelchair, I shouldn't also have to build all of my own ramps. Right. Right. Yeah. And so that's kind of where I'm falling right now. And I know this is like really meta instead of like practical strategies, but I think it's important. No. I think we should have our, you know, our version of wheelchair, like we should have our strategies and tools that we can use, but we also need to live in a world where we're allowed to use them and that we're supported in using them. And it's not completely falling to us or even we're looked at like we're weird, right? Because sometimes there's there's this weird thing where it's like, okay, like it's not okay that you get distracted in meetings. Okay, cool. Like, let me bring a fidget so that I can not get distracted in meetings. Like, let me bring my knitting so that I can stay focused. Well, that's not okay either. Okay, like, what do you want from me? <laughs> you know? <laughs> You're like, I, you get a sweater out of it at the end of it. Come on, I'll make you a sock. Just right? <laughs> also, I'm paying attention now. So yeah. you're welcome. <laughs> So if you have executive function issues, you may find that something soothing or exciting while you work is helpful. Like even chewing gum at the computer really helps some folks to the point that schools make exceptions for kids who focus better chewing gum. I work better with music. My Pandora use, still going strong. Jarrett watches action movies on one monitor while he works on the other. And I find that astounding. He says it's like having a white noise machine to sleep. I'm like, okay, sure. What about fidget toys? 
one way you can support a creator with ADHD is go to Renee's shop at blackgirllostkeys.com. She has them for sale there. She also sells water bottles or protein shake bottles with a built-in pill organizer and shirts that say, guard your yes with your life. She has worksheets too and workbooks on topics like 100 no-cook meal ideas and learning how to dress well with ADHD. She's got another on cleaning. And of course, she's a professional ADHD coach. And via her Patreon, you can hear her podcast at any subscription level for more tips. Now, Jayla, a neuroscientist studying distractibility, offers some wisdom as well. Having breaks really helps. Like same thing on the weekend. I try not to work too much if possible. And I think by having those breaks in in there, when I am working, I feel like I'm a lot more productive. One thing I have to remind myself is that the work honestly will never stop. And so mm. if I don't get to this email today or if I don't, you know, get this part of the data analyzed today, like I'll have something to do tomorrow then. So I don't mm-hmm. know. I just try to take it one day at a time. I love this little device called the Time Timer, and you can use it for the Pomodoro method, which, as it turns out, is how quantum ontology guest Dr. Adam Becker wrote his frickin' book, What is Real? The Unfinished Quest for the Meaning of Quantum Physics. And yes, this acclaimed astrophysicist has ADHD. So I went back to his 2018 episode, which is fantastic, and I pulled that part for us. What was the process of writing the book like? Uh, so first it was abject terror after I got the contract because okay. I, you know, like after I, I, I finished partying, right? Mm-hmm. I was, I, I realized I was on the hook for 90,000 words <laughs> and I'd never published anything longer than about 3,000. Uh, so that was completely fucking terrifying. <laughs> I had a history earlier on in my career of having difficulty getting work done and getting it done on time mm-hmm. or getting it finished. By that point, you know, moved past that. I finished my my degree and whatnot, but it, I still had this mental image of myself as someone who had difficulty getting work done on time. Mm. And so I was really extra scared. Um, but I, I decided, okay, the only way that I'm going to get through this is if I plan it and then just only pay attention to whatever's in front of me, mm-hmm. because uh, I can't write 90,000 words. But I can write 600 words a day. And if I do that for a while, eventually I'll have 90,000 words. <laughs> um, so, so yeah, so I outlined it and I went over the outline with my publisher and they liked the outline. Of course, it changed, right? No, no plan survives contact with the editor. Um, <laughs> so for each chapter, I'd outline the chapter. And then I just sort of work through that outline and write a really shitty first draft mm-hmm. uh, and try to do 600 words a day. And what I do is I would do 50 minutes on and 10 minutes off. And in the 10 minutes off, I wouldn't look at anything with a screen and I wouldn't read any nonfiction. I would, I read exclusively novels and that really helped my brain work. Cause I found that if I didn't read at all, I couldn't write. Cause if there's nothing going in, nothing's going to come out. Right. Other Ologies episodes in which we discuss succeeding with ADHD include the Corbett Thanatology episode with Dr. Kaylee Swift, Maritime Archaeology with Chanel Zapp, Thermophysiology with Dr. Shane Campbell-Staten, Neuroendocrinologist Dr. Daniel Fow talks about that, and Molecular Biology with Dr. Raven Baxter. Oh, and using a timer for tasks. Jayla had a great tip, which I have used every day since our interview. One thing that we're 
discussing is, you know, just telling yourself, okay, I'm just going to write for 10 minutes today or 15 minutes, um, setting a timer. And then you'll be surprised how much, you know, you can actually get done in that time period. And then once you've started, uh, sometimes I'll, you know, do the 15 minutes and then I'm like in the groove. And so I can continue to like mm-hmm. write for longer. And part of success is knowing yourself, knowing how you thrive and what works for you and what doesn't work for you. Renee zeroed in on that. And I love her. You have to develop self-awareness. You have to develop the ability to know what you need and how to say no to what you don't need and to not be open to suggestions that you already know are not going to be what you need. And I know you know what I'm talking about because don't you love it when someone (laughs) says, try a notebook and you tell them, I got a million (laughs) damn notebooks that's not going to work and how offended they are by that. And at this point, I'm just like, what kind of fool do you think I am? I have gone to college. I went to Penn State. I built my own business. I went to a doctor. I take a stimulant medication that is a pain in the ass to fill, as we've established. And you think I could have resolved all of this by walking down to the fucking dollar store and buying a notebook. You think 75 cents was going to solve a problem that I've spent thousands of dollars and countless hours to resolve you think that was the solution you think i couldn't have thought of that on my own (laughs) you're like wait a second should i try a a pen too you think that'll work or should i do a pencil i don't want to miss out on the opportunity to erase (laughs) do you have any other wonderful wonderful ideas can you can you write to pharmaceutical companies? I don't want to forget. Oh, wait, now my good friend happened along and you know what they told me? To just do it. I'm going to try that. <laughs> really? You should just do the thing that you can't do. It's probably not the way of peace. If you like peace, that's not the route to go. <laughs> the way of peace. <laughs> I'm just like, no, no, not at this point. Like, it used to really hurt my feelings mm-hmm. when people would do that because it was like, oh, you you think that I lack the intelligence and the wherewithal to come up with basic solutions to my own problems? Like, wow, mm-hmm. how could you think that of me? And at this point, I'm just like, you don't know anything about what you're talking about. Go away. Boo. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. well, you know, that's just like uh, your opinion, man. So while the bullet journal, or the Bujo, was developed by someone with ADHD, it's not for everyone. I myself use a half-sheet-sized ring binder so I can take things out and reshuffle them because I just spent years staring at a pile of 20 journals that only had like the first seven pages used. Now, in case you want to see my binder and my dog, I'm going to be doing a Patreon live stream on Sunday, March 6th at noon Pacific, but also binders and dogs. Maybe they're not for everyone. Are there certain little tips or tricks or major systemic things like just I have to sleep nine hours a night or something that you would advise people to try? I think sleep and eating consistently are some of the areas that we struggle the most in. And I am not a good person when I haven't slept. Like, I don't even want to be around me when I haven't gotten enough sleep. I think looking at those those basic tenets of self-care to begin with like are you sleeping are you eating can you find your stuff do you have enough clean clothing 
are you able to keep foods in the house that you can eat consistently? Like all of those are areas that you want to take a close look at. At some point in trying to learn how to manage my ADHD, like at first it was about finding out what the symptoms are and eliminating them. Like how do I get rid of the impulsivity and the distractibility and et cetera? As I learned more, it became more so like, never mind getting rid of the symptoms. I can't, but here's what I need to accomplish. I need to eat. I need to manage my finances. I need to be able to get a decent night's sleep. How do Mm -hmm. I support myself in my impulsivity, in my distractibility? How do I keep myself redirected? It's a very subtle switch, but it's an important one because trying to control the symptoms is you fighting yourself. Trying to accomplish the things you need to accomplish puts the focus back where it belongs. Because quite honestly, if you've got your life managed, do you really care if you have ADHD? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Does it matter at that point? Like no one cares how distractible I am if I'm meeting deadlines and showing up places on time and being a halfway decent person. Like maybe I can't accomplish good every day, but I, I've got a pretty decent emotional regulation, right? Nobody cares whether we have mm-hmm. ADHD or not. They care about the things that they see as negative qualities, irresponsibility. I hate the irresponsibility trope that people try to throw at us. We're actually not irresponsible people by and large. At least the people I've met have not been like when they say, well, what do you mean? I'm not irresponsible. Irresponsible people do not care if they're meeting the requirements because they're irresponsible. Think about this truly wild, irresponsible people, you know, like, To not give a shit is their brand. Mm -hmm. They do not care if they're disappointing. They do not care if they're not able to meet the standards. That is true irresponsibility. How many actual irresponsible people do you know? Yeah, it's such a good point. And there's so much effort to, for people who do have ADHD, if it's a matter of thought that counts or effort that counts, the, the effort it takes to do certain things is, I feel like multiple times that what maybe some neurotypical people might experience and that effort is there. There's just, um, it, it almost like costs more energetically to do things, you know? Yes, absolutely. You know, I was talking to a friend of mine um, who is a psychologist. She was saying that one question that is on intakes about this. And one question that seems to really resonate with a lot of patients is the, do you feel like you're driven by a motor? And how much that can fuel burnout, that feeling of you always, always, always have to go, go, go to make up for things, you know? Do you feel like that's something that resonates with you too? Or do you have to like try to turn your motor to idle at all? Oh, mine doesn't have an idle button. That button's (laughs) broken. (laughs) (laughs) So, yes, I definitely can identify with it. What does Renee want to shout from a bullhorn at the top of a mountain? I wish people would learn what executive function is and then understand that what they think of as executive function is not a choice. 
-hmm. Like everyone has it in their, in their mind that you can, if it's important to you, you will remember it. If it means enough to you, you will find a way to be on time. But as a person with ADHD, if you don't have the skills and the tools to put in place to assist you in the places that you need help, it doesn't matter how important something is or how meaningful it is. Like there was someone who I was very close with who lost their job and filed with unemployment and was turned down and they needed to go to the appeal hearing. The appeal hearing and getting that money made the difference between whether or not they would be able to keep their apartment. They lost their apartment because they forgot to go to the meeting. That's not a choice. Whether or not you remember something has nothing to do with how important it is or what the consequences are. It just doesn't. When you remove the intent from it, a lot more of these things become less frustrating for everyone involved because I think that's where a lot of the conflict comes in relationships and communication. After a while, a person starts to wonder like, are you are you kidding me? It's interesting too the way that our culture is so split where we get this messaging about if someone doesn't prioritize you, cut him out of your life. Like if someone doesn't respect you, if he's not that into you, cut him out and move on, you know? And then at the same time, it doesn't allow for a lot of understanding of motives behind things. It's it's just, I think it's really tough sometimes without awareness to really understand what's behind someone's actions, you know? The people who actually really love you like a lot of those other things are based in performance. Did you show up for me? Did you do the thing I asked you to do? The people who actually love you at your core and at your essence will also present themselves. My best friend has been my best friend since I was 18 years old. I wasn't diagnosed with ADHD until seven years later. Think about it. She had seven to 10 years of me never being on time. Mm -hmm. So she's had to adjust herself because she would always just plan on me being late. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm not going to fight with Renee about being late. I've watched her be late a million times. I don't know why she's late, but she's late. I'm going to tell her a different time so that she comes yeah. on time. <laughs> like that, those, those are the kind of, those are the only kinds of friends I want in my life who see who I am and go, how do we have this relationship with this person being the way that they are? Because that's what I do for my friends. And I don't think it's unreasonable to expect reciprocity in that way. And it's like, look, if you genuinely cannot deal with someone's lateness, it offends you to that degree. No one's holding you hostage. Stop being friends with them. We both have to try. You have to give grace. I have to get to a place where I can do it better. And if that's not good enough, then we can't be friends. You can't be friends with everybody in the world. That's all right. Mm -hmm. No yeah. feelings either. Like if this isn't working for you, let's not be friends. We can respect each other. We can still have love for each other. And, but that like close friendship might just not be for us. Again, I mentioned this book in an aside for part one, but The ADHD Effect on Marriage by Melissa Orlov. Super helpful for me personally, even though Jarrett and I both read it 
before we were ever married or engaged and when we were in a phase of our relationship where we broke up every couple of months. Since that book, we haven't broken up once. Isn't that amazing? Trust me, it is. So his diagnosis and learning about it was absolutely life-changing, maybe life-saving. And we had a little audio issue here, but as Renee says, Melissa really brought a lot to light, didn't she? Melissa really brought a lot to light, didn't she? Yeah, it just reframed so much that you think are either, you know, what we would call character flaws or personality traits or choices. And once you can see certain patterns, I saw my husband in a completely different light. And I also, because he hadn't been diagnosed, he would do things that were really dangerous or really sketchy. Or I'm like, well, what, what, where is his judgment? And knowing now that he was always like, yeah, you know, riding his motorcycle at a hundred miles an hour and, you know, almost killing himself on it. And if yeah, you're the kind of person who looks for security, you're like, how the hell did yeah. I wind up married to fucking evil Knievel? Like what's going on here? What are you doing? <laughs> As far as why I do what I do, there are three mysteries to life. That's where we came from, why we do what we do, and where we're going to go. Johnny Carson doesn't know the answer to any of those three things, and neither does Evil Canadian, so it's a question that can't be answered. A lot of patrons wanted to know about relationships, like ADHD partners, Merith Bennett, and Marcus Elliott, and Natalie, and Jessica has videos like ADHD and relationships, let's be honest, and how to help someone who has ADHD. One great tip is don't parent your partner. Help support them where they need it, but remember, you're an equal team who bring different things to the table. Now, can she fix all of our relationships? No pressure. Jenny Lowe Rhodes, Sally O'Mara, Daniel Kim, Annika, all wanted to know how to support people who have ADHD or how to ask for support so that they're not judged. (laughs) Yeah, I think remember that Really, the biggest thing is that it's not a moral defect. It's not that they're lazy or not trying hard enough or a bad person or a bad student or a bad friend. It's that their brain works differently. They are on a different operating system. Their brain functions differently. The reward pathways are different. Their perception of time is different. Their emotional regulation is different. Their attention regulation is different. It all functions differently. And so it's it's not that they need to be spoken to like they're a child or treated like they're a child, but for some things we need support accommodations just to even be able to access it. So I'm really good at my job and sometimes it wouldn't look like it because I struggled to figure out where, you know, a, a folder is for the thing that like even things that I do on a regular basis. I'm like, how do I do this again? Like I have really basic, basic struggles. And it's so heartbreaking because often ADHDers are trying harder than their neurotypical peers and they're just facing more obstacles. But because those obstacles are invisible, it doesn't look like that. If somebody's stuck on the freeway and there are a bunch of cars in front of them, you'd be like, well, yes, obviously they're not moving because there are a bunch of cars in front of them. But if somebody's stopped on the freeway and there's nobody else on the road that you can see, you're like, why aren't you moving? Do you not care about this thing you're trying to get to? Like, just step Mm. on the gas. And you don't see all of the cars in front of them, right? You don't see the obstacles. So you think that they're not there. And so you make the very natural assumption that like, it's that they don't care or it's that they're not trying um, Mm -hmm. when that's really, really not the case. And so understanding what it is that they're dealing with and what's getting in their way, because I promise you something is. Mm -hmm. Something is. If they're not doing something, there's a reason for that. If I'm in an accounting job and I 
cannot stand numbers, spreadsheets, anything. Like, yeah, I can use a lot of strategies to get my brain to do that job, but really a better option, get a different job. It's a terrible (laughs) job for my brain. It just is, right? And so like recognizing when it makes sense to change the environment and when it makes sense to, you know, oh, well, like if I take meds, I can be a fantastic writer. If I don't take meds, I can't write, but I'm a fantastic Mm. writer. So it makes sense for me to take meds. So people out there who love someone with ADHD, learning more about it, helps so much. And giving some extra grace gives you so much in return. Neuroscientist and ADHD sibling Jayla agrees. The symptoms sometimes, like as a kid growing up, sometimes it would be a lot, I would think sometimes with my brother. But understanding that, you know, this isn't something that he like chooses to do on purpose. This is, you know, a lot deeper than that. Um, And I think me being more understanding and then actually trying to become aware and like more educated on the stuff that he might be struggling with, I think helps our relationship because I better understand what it is that he's going through um, Mm -hmm. or dealing with on a daily basis. So I think that's probably the best advice is just try to be understanding and accommodating to people in your life that, you know, do have to battle with this. So accepting others. Also, big message from Jessica. You ready? This is big. That's why it's at the end. It's big. It's good. I can tell you what I'm obsessed with right now, mm-hmm. which is the idea of the idea of us being okay as is. Mm-hmm. Because I think that those of us who are neurodivergent grow up our whole lives being constantly corrected on our neurodivergent behaviors and learning that they are not okay. It's not okay to get really excited and and talk really loudly about something you're excited about you know because a lot of times in situations where it's it's not appropriate to right it's it's not okay to get out of your chair and move around it's not okay to interrupt while somebody's talking it's not okay to you know and and a lot of these things are things that um that we do have to learn contextually to to be better about in general like all kids have to learn you know, when it's their turn and how to share and, and things that that people with ADHD might have might have trouble with. Um, but we almost learn to train it out of ourselves entirely. We we learn it's not okay to fidget when actually that that fidgeting can help us focus. It can bring down our anxiety and it can give our floating attention something to do so that it doesn't float all over the room and take us with it. But there's almost this pressure when you have ADHD to erase your ADHD completely, to be neurotypical as if that's the goal, right? It's a terrible goal to have, but it's one that that we almost all seem to on some level because it seems to be the message that we've gotten our whole lives. Like you'd be so, you know, successful if you could just, you, you have so mm-hmm. much potential if you would just, you know, put your nose to the grindstone, just sit down and do it as if it's, as if it's a choice, as opposed to this is just how our brains work. And so mm-hmm. a big thing that I'm really obsessed with right now is accepting people as is, accepting that I have ADHD, accepting that um, <laughs> the person I work with is autistic, accepting that, and then going, instead of going, how do we make them be less that, go, given that, now where do we go from here? Because we still live in a society, right? And we still have goals that we want to accomplish. We still want things we still want to be empowered. We want to be able to do the things we want to do. We want um, the people we care about to be able to to grow up happy and healthy and do the things that they want to do. For speaking to literally one million brains for your job, what would you say is something that people wouldn't know is, is either difficult or even just annoying about it? 
I don't know if people realize how much it breaks my heart to read the mm. comments sometimes. Like I will sit and read comments and cry or read people's stories. And sometimes I can't even respond because I just don't have the bandwidth that day, but I will read these stories and I will just sit there and cry because there's so much, there's so much pain out there. Like people are struggling so hard and, and up against a world that like thinks they're not trying. And that, mm. that's really hard to read sometimes. And it's, it's also what motivates me, but it's, it's, really tough because people are asking me for answers that I don't have. Like mm-hmm. there's 12 year olds saying like, my, my parents don't believe ADHD is real or they won't, they won't take me to a doctor. What do I do? And I don't know what to tell them because there's no good answer. Right. And like, until the world understands ADHD better, until we overcome these, these stereotypes and the, you know, this idea that ADHD is a joke or not real or not that big a deal. Like until we get past that, or the moral idea, the more the idea that ADHD is this moral failing. Until we really understand as a society ADHD well enough to move past that, this pain is going to continue of people feeling like it's their fault that they're struggling mm-hmm. and trying so hard not to and being punished or shamed for it. And it absolutely breaks my heart. ADHD brains have a lot to offer the world. We tend to be generous, funny, creative. We not only think outside the box, we're often not even aware there is a box. There's a quote that I love. Uh, I I think it's John Steinbeck. Um, And now that you don't have to be perfect, you can be good. And it can be paralyzing for for people who are neurodivergent to even want to like go out and try things or interact because we've been corrected so often our whole lives that we're like so afraid to mess up. You know, we, we almost get trained into being perfectionist because we keep getting corrected and we keep being told like, that's wrong. How you're doing this is wrong. This is wrong. This is wrong. So eventually we're like, don't do anything wrong. Don't do anything. Wrong. Like that's almost a mantra. Like don't fuck up. Don't fuck up. Don't fuck up. Don't fuck up. Right. Like That's almost what we go through. But like I was having a conversation with somebody the other day and realized like that's a that's a terrible way to live. Like just constantly being afraid of messing up because then you don't want to take the shot. Right. Yeah. And what I'm trying so hard to do and what I'm hoping that others can start to join me in, in doing. If we're thinking about perfectionism, we're thinking about like perfectionism is making all the shots you take. Right. Mm. But if we shift to thinking about winning the game, oh. we have to take a lot of shots and we're going to miss some. And that's OK. So take the shot, ask brilliant people basic questions and look at that. You just may understand yourself and others better. So give yourself grace and accept all the really creative and wonderful ways your brain works because it's great. You can try to tailor a life that fits you if you can. You can surround yourself with people who understand you and who don't expect perfection. You can work in small, defined chunks of time, take breaks, and don't be afraid of imperfection or success. And I hope this two-parter has helped some of you Just if nothing else, just know you're not alone. You're not a fuck up. You're special. You're different. It's cool. And everyone struggles with executive function to some degree. Everyone. And our attention is so much more fractured than ever. I mean, we can work 24-7 and some employees expect that of us. And we live in a gig economy where one job isn't enough to afford a house. So next week, ologies, life hacks for everyone. I'm thrilled about it. 
So find the ologist, though, from this episode at the links on my website at alleyward.com slash ology slash ADHD. That'll be linked in the show notes. Renee Brooks is at Black Girl Lost Keys Everywhere. Find Jessica McCabe at howtoadhd.com, and her handles are howtoadhd. Jayla Osborne is on Twitter. Her handle is in the show notes. And we are at ologies on Twitter and Instagram. I'm Allie Ward with one L on both. Thank you, Aaron Talbert, for adminning the Ologies Podcast Facebook group with help from Shannon and Bonnie of the podcast You Are That. Thank you to Susan Hale for bookkeeping and merch and Noelle for scheduling and so much behind the scenes. Thank you, Emily White of The Wordery for making our professional transcripts as fast as we possibly can. Thank you, Caleb Patton, for bleeping them. Zeke Rodriguez-Thomas of MindJam Media helps make the Smologies episodes that come out every few weeks. Stephen Ray Morris helps out too. And giant, huge thanks to the muse and the editor of this and the one and only Jarrett Sleeper of MindJam Media for laboring so hard the last few weeks on these giant episodes with like five guests and hours of content and a lot of work. And of course, for working through the hard parts of life to understand each other better. Fucking super glad we listened to that audiobook and we were like, oh, wow, we're not assholes. Holy smokes. Boy, howdy. This rules. Uh, Nick Thorburn made the theme music. And if you stick around to the end of the episode, I tell you a secret. And this week's secret is just straight up that I uh, have been feeling super weird about being like, do I have ADHD after all these years? What if I don't? What if I just am lazy or whatever. And so it's very, very fresh for me and I'm still understanding it myself. Makes a lot of sense. Sure. Also grappling with looking at myself in a whole different way. So uh, hella fresh is what I'm getting at for probably a lot of people. But wow. One thing I look back on is all of the tricks and workarounds and ways that I tried to make work easier for me. And I thought I was being fussy. I realized, wow, those were actually adaptations I was making to keep myself on track. And I abandoned a lot of them because I thought I seemed uptight using them. And I was like, oh, no, those were keeping me alive. So um, I'm reevaluating a lot of the ways that I, I'm just reevaluating a lot of the ways that I work. Anyway, um, vulnerabilities self-reflection <laughs> okay you're great look at that we did two episodes on adhd y'all we did it okay bye-bye hello i'm a mac and I'm a PC. For 25 years, nothing has tasted better after a hard day's work than a Mike's Hard Lemonade. It's because since day one, Mike's has been making lemonade the hard way. We use three kinds of lemons, all handpicked from family farms, then blended to perfection in cold press to create the epic hard lemonade you know and love. Mike's Hard Lemonade. Hard days deserve a hard lemonade. Mike's is hard. So is prison. Don't drive drunk. Premium all beverage with flavors. All registered trademarks used under license by Mike's Hard Lemonade Company, Chicago, Illinois.
Spectrum One is a big deal. You get Spectrum Internet with the most reliable internet speeds, free advanced Wi-Fi for enhanced security and privacy, and a free Spectrum Mobile Unlimited line with nationwide 5G included, all while saving big. For the big speed, big reliability, and big savings you want, get Spectrum One. Just $49.99 a month for 12 months. Visit spectrum.com slash big deal for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply.